Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Into the Light podcast. This is part two of Sarah's story, episode nine. We're so excited that you're here. We titled this one, Broken Femurs and a Life in Healing, because as you'll see later in this episode, Sarah has an incredible firsthand story of what it's like to have a terrible injury like a broken femur. I've always wondered, and you always hear from the arbitrary they about what a broken femur feels like. So I went to the most credible source I know, Cora, and typed in, what is breaking a femur compared to? Uh, we got this answer from 255 Lori, and I'll just quote her verbatim. She says, quote, I broke my femur when my foot got caught. I didn't know my foot was caught, and I twisted to change direction. Immediately collapsed with a large splat. I heard the bone break. Worst pain ever. I've broken other bones, arms, collarbone, and had two total knee replacements. The broken femur pain was more pain than all those other breaks combined. I attempted to move as I was lying on the ground and was told I let out a blood-curdling scream. Terribly helpless feeling. Don't recommend it. First of all, she sounds like she's broken a lot more bones than the average person. (laughs) But if anything, this should give you a little bit of glimpse into what it's like to break a femur because hopefully none of us ever have to go through that but sarah has and she has an incredible story about it and her process of healing both emotionally and physically from this terrible injury and you'll hear about it this episode also i'm sure you've noticed that we have an intro music piece and an outro music piece now this episode is actually brought to you by austin johnson and austin johnson's music on youtube so you can go find him austin johnson he has one video up so far. It's called Into the Light Introversion. Austin is one of the most incredible human beings I know. He's a close friend of Braylon and I, and he's an incredible fingerstyle guitarist, but someone I look up to and admire more than almost anybody. So if you'd go check him out, he's going to start uploading more videos. It's kind of his project nowadays in between school and homework and all that kind of stuff, but he's, he's incredible. Incredible fingerstyle guitarist and even more incredible human being. Anyways, we love you all so much, and if you get a second, we'd love it if you could leave us a review or subscribe to the show. It helps us populate more quickly into all the different podcast platforms we are on. We just recently eclipsed 2,700 downloads over our first eight episodes, and we're getting into the semester. We're going to get a little bit more busy, but we're going to keep these coming out every week. So we hope you enjoy this episode. We love you all so much, and we'll see you next week as well. So tell us a little bit more about, I guess, the process post when it all came out. Tell about yeah. your recovery a little yeah. bit past that. Um, so I went back to school <laughs> as normal, and that was weird to see him every day and know what he did. And he was, he was very popular. Like I said, he was very charismatic. He was very charming. And so to see everybody else just like fall under that spell and I feel like I had finally broken out. And so I was literally like, what? Like, Trapped again. Yeah. Why do people love him? Like, he's so phony and he's done so many terrible things. So that was hard. But then he graduated, which was nice. Um, I went into my senior year and I specifically remember thinking it had been like three weeks of school, maybe a month. And I had already seen a difference in how, <laughs> how much less I had cried my senior year versus my junior year when I was with him. Like already, I was like, man, I'm happy. <laughs> like I'm, I'm like having a really good time, yeah. you know? Um, and then I come out to my car one day and there's a note folded up and tucked into my windshield wiper from him. 
and this guy just won't go away. Literally, and he <laughs> wrote <laughs> <laughs> he wrote an entire apology letter, mm. but not for touching me non consensually, and not for traumatizing me. He apologized for how things went down verbatim, and I was like. <laughs> like you're joking me so much more than that you missed the point completely and so i started like crying and i called my dad and i said he left this note in my car and my dad said well we're having a bonfire for my birthday tonight we can burn it and i said awesome <laughs> so dad. i went home and i burned it um and i ran into him a couple of other times that year because his little brother was at school with me and then i haven't seen him since um so i graduated from high school i went down to suu um I started thinking about it a lot more about what had happened to me, and I—I I mean, I was—I was studying theater at a very liberal art school, and so a lot like sexual assault and and like I don't know other social causes like that are very much a topic of conversation with the people that I'm surrounding myself mm-hmm. with. So people are talking about like, oh yeah, this is my story and this is what happened to me, and I'm like. <laughs> that happened people. to me too yeah. well and then I, I forgot to mention I before I went to SU I went to girls camp for my last year and I had one of my friends that I had grown up with tell me her story and it was essentially exactly what had happened to me you know it was someone that she was dating someone she cared about someone she trusted and then very similar physical things happened yeah. but she was using words like victim and sexual assault and date rape she had the vocabulary yeah and it clicked and I was like oh my gosh that's what happened to me. Isn't that crazy? It was crazy. I was like, how did I not see it before? And so then I, I recognized that, and I was like, oh, well, now that I've recognized it, I'm probably fine. And then I get to college, and people start talking about it. And so I start thinking about it and realize that maybe there's some more healing for me to do. But then I kind of brush it off again. And then I decided to go on a mission, and I went on a mission. And um, when I got into the field, I was serving in St. Gallen, Switzerland, and I was three weeks in, and it was a week before Christmas, which was the anniversary of my trauma, and I started having panic attacks and triggers where a song would come on the radio that I remember sitting in the car with him listening to, and I would feel anxious and panicky and short of breath, and I had no idea what was happening. Mm-hmm. And we had an amazing therapist on my mission that changed my life and so I started working with her and I thought it was just going to be to like get past the Christmas season and then I would be fine and I ended up working with her my whole mission but I remember um I was crying about it to my trainer one night and for a long time like I at this point I had had accepted and recognized that most of what happened was his fault right like most of it nothing like I didn't I didn't consent, right? And I recognize that. But I still felt like part of it was my fault. For sure. And I have this whole thing about fairness. And so I kept thinking, okay, but like what percentage is my fault? Like what percent (laughs) do I need to repent for? Because it's my fault and I crossed those boundaries. And I was explaining that to my trainer. And she looked at me and she said, Sister Penner, if you asked your savior that question, and he were sitting here like I'm sitting here, what do you think he would say? And I got a distinct impression that he would say that it doesn't matter. The percentage doesn't matter. Percentages don't matter. What matters is that you are broken and you need healing. 
and I can help you. Mm. And that really set off the catalyst to my healing was I wasn't holding myself back anymore because I, I didn't assign blame to myself because I didn't feel shameful about it because I didn't feel guilty because I had done good things with my life and I had repented in the ways that I needed to repent. And now I just needed to accept his healing and move forward. And that was really empowering for, for my journey. There's, there's something to be said there because you said you, you stopped putting blame on yourself and you mentioned shame as well. And I think shame is the key word there because yeah. you felt like part of it was still your responsibility when in reality, just like you said, I think it's so cliche and everyone says it, but like, what would Jesus do in this situation? Right. <laughs> if you're conversing with, with the Savior in the situation, how is he going to respond? He's going to say, Sarah, this was however many years ago. Look at your heart right now. Yeah. yeah. I don't care. Look how you've changed. Yeah, I don't care what you did in the past. I care who you are right now and what trajectory you're on and what direction you're facing. And if you're facing me, you're in the right place, no matter how hard it is. Mm. And that just takes all the shame away. Yeah. And you're able to move forward. And I was. like, It it was really like permission to be able to move on after six years. Mm Mm-hmm. That's a really long time to hold something like that. It's a big burden to hold on to for that long. Yeah. How did it feel? How did you? How did your spirit feel after that conversation? So much lighter. Like I just kept thinking about it, and I remember calling my mom that P day and being like, "Guess what, Sister Neumann said?" <laughs> and this is what I experienced, and 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 just feeling so excited about it, and and I really feel like a, a really good word to use would be I I felt very empowered hmm. that that I wasn't, I wasn't shrinking myself anymore. I wasn't holding myself back anymore. I had a story and I had a testimony Mm -hmm. and I had something to offer people. And it wasn't this thing that I had to like be ashamed of or scared of because I had a part in it and I sinned and I did a bad thing. It was, this is something that happened to me and it was really terrible, but I have something to give because of it. Hmm. And the adversary is just holding you back with that shame. And I think everybody that's listening right now, take just a step back and take a step of practicality because this can apply to anyone, no matter what you feel like you've done so far in your life. Like think of, think of something that you do maybe still feel bad about no matter how big or small it is. And, and ask yourself if you were speaking to the savior right now, like how would he respond? Yeah. And Put that into your prayer because that's a possibility, actually. That's something that we believe in as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is that you can know and feel how you would if he was actually here speaking to you and taking that shame and that burden off your shoulders. And I think that word shame is what takes away our power. You received power because you didn't feel shameful. And it was, and it seemed like shame is just such a, gross difficult thing to understand because you don't know how to explain it but you also don't know how to fix it or help it and the only way that you can is by making it come into the light you know Mm -hmm. like making it actually a reality yeah and not making it something that's just a facade that happened and i kind of know the details but not really but it doesn't really matter you know but shame is immediately eliminated Mm -hmm. when we talk about it Right. And like that's the entire purpose of our podcast is to talk about it 
so that shame is eliminated and so that we can actually feel the power that the savior has to offer us yeah. so we can feel that empowerment and that lightness of our spirit Absolutely. because that's that's the only way it's going to work is by bringing it out yeah. i love it that well, is crazy i think about like my whole relationship with him and how much of it was shameful yeah because it was all secretive because it was all behind closed doors because nobody else knew what was happening except for us and and that was what allowed it to get so bad i think is is that people you know we didn't talk about it and and that felt very like the opposite of empowering i don't know (laughs) you know what i mean like i felt very Hopeless. hopeless yeah and and helpless and like i didn't have a say in my own life and then as soon as i recognized the truth of what had happened i was able to use words like victim and sexual assault and date rape and then as soon as i accepted the truth of what happened spiritually and the fact that i could move on mm-hmm. everything got easier and it's not perfect and i still get triggered and i still never want to see him again you know like it's never yeah it's never really going to go away but I don't feel afraid anymore and I don't feel shame anymore. Like it's, it's still a horrible, terrible thing and I wouldn't wish it on anybody. For sure. And if I could have chosen to learn the lessons that I did in any other way, I would have taken that path, Mm -hmm. but I can't choose that. And so I'm not going to say I'm glad it happened, but it happened and now I move forward. Yeah, for sure. Um, Going back to your mission yeah. and continuing on, mm-hmm. um, you have this therapist. She helped you through this very tough time. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned to us you were going through a lot of mental health things, including that anxiety, depression, yes. all those things. you want to touch on that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so anxiety and depression runs in my family. And both my older sisters, two of them had been diagnosed with either one of those disorders, um, both major depressive disorder and generalized anxiety disorder before they left on their missions, Mm -hmm. right? So like their senior year of high school or their freshman year of college. And I got through both those milestones with nothing. So I was like, (laughs) ha ha, like it totally passed me. I'm healthy. Um, I was very wrong about that. And, um, approximately, so I think it was my third transfer. So at the very beginning of my mission, um, I met with a psychiatrist because I was still having anxiety and panic attacks. And I was officially diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder on the mission. And I fought that my whole mission. (laughs) And I met with my therapist at least once a week. And I focused really heavily on exercise and trying to get my anxiety out of my body that way and I focused on mindfulness and journaling and um, things like that and I had you know I was doing pretty good I was doing pretty well and then I um in my 10th transfer maybe or my yeah somewhere around there ninth or 10th transfer near the end um I had a massive panic attack that took me out for an entire day um like I just sobbed in my room the entire day And as a missionary, I mean, like, as a human, that doesn't feel good. But as a missionary, that really doesn't feel good, right? Because you're not being productive and you're not on the streets talking to people. And it was summer in Germany and everybody was outside and there were so many opportunities to talk to people. And not only was I keeping myself inside, but I was keeping my two companions at the time inside as well. And so I felt guilt for that, too, because we weren't being good missionaries. And that really was a wake-up call for me. I realized, you know, like, I 
either need to get this under control somehow or I need to go home because I can't serve a mission like this if it's going to be like this mm-hmm. all the time. Um, so we started exploring the idea of medication and both my sisters had had medication before and it didn't go well for them. Like they had really bad side effects and it made things worse. And my mother is has the biggest heart and is the most caring missionary mom in the world. And she absolutely did not want me to start taking medication while I was 7,000 miles away because I'm her baby on the other side of the world taking this thing that could potentially make things worse. And that's the interesting thing about like anxiety medication is like it either helps or it makes you want to kill yourself. <laughs> like, yeah. there's, like there's not really an in-between. You just have to hope that you get it helping. It's, right? it's an experiment. Yeah, absolutely. And so I, um, I prayed about it. And I really felt like it was my choice and like Heavenly Father wasn't going to let me make a choice that would permanently damage me or my family. And I was like, I'm going to choose medication. Like, I'm going to try it. And my parents were upset for a little bit, um, but I tried it and it worked. Like, first time. We had to do a little, like, dosage adjustment so I didn't, like, almost pass out every time I took it because I was so dizzy. But, like, once we cut that in half... I was soaring, like mm-hmm. I felt more peace and relief from the anxiety than I had my entire mission. And it was amazing, it was amazing. And I feel so lucky that it worked so quickly for me because I know it doesn't work mm-hmm. for everybody. Um, and then I started feeling really good. And as soon as I started feeling like stable, I got called to train a new missionary. And, and you're like, are you talking to like, me, President? Literally. <laughs> I was like, are you sure you want that? Because he hadn't Sounds done like that a to mission me yet. Right, there. <laughs> right? But the amazing thing was, um, I get this missionary. She's from Norway. She's one of my best friends in the world now. Um, day three, she wakes up completely sick to her stomach with anxiety. Like, completely ill. And I was like, I can help you. (laughs) I've been doing this for like 16 months. And and I literally, you know, I was so angry when I got diagnosed with anxiety because I was like, I didn't even want to be here. Like, I didn't even want to go on a mission. I didn't even want to to serve at all. You were the one that said so directly that I needed to serve. And now I'm here in the most beautiful country in the world and I can't even enjoy it because I'm having panic attacks all the time. I was so angry. And it took me a really long time to come to terms with that anger and yeah. kind of work through it. And then as soon as I got Anna as my trainee, it clicked. It was like, oh, so that's why. All right. I got I to gotta interject a little Ed Milet quote real quick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't go all podcasts without Ed Milet quote because this is such a powerful principle. Something that I've heard him say recently, and I actually already shared this on my Facebook. So if you've heard it, be ready to hear it again because <laughs> I have a rent on my whiteboard right now and I think it's so powerful. But oftentimes when we think about our biggest weaknesses or the biggest struggles that we've ever had in our life, we think that those are the things that disqualify us from ever helping anyone else. When it's the opposite in reality, our biggest weaknesses and the struggles that we've gone through are the very things that qualify us to help others go through that same thing, yeah. either presently or in the future. And as hard as it is to see that when you're in the middle of something, like I'm sure you couldn't have seen that when you were going through your trauma and your abuse and, and your and your healing process. And you still are, like recovery is a lifelong thing. But that principle that when you are facing 
the Savior, everything in our life eventually turns out to be something good and for mm-hmm. our benefit, as hard as it is to believe. And I'm sure you changed Anna's life because mm-hmm. you had been through that and you had the tools and the knowledge necessary to help her at that time because you were qualified by going through that in the past. Yeah. I mean, I just think about like the concept of empathy and how it's the most powerful form of love and how it's why Christ is the way he is. Yeah. Like it is literally his power is perfect empathy. And we're never going to get to perfect empathy, right? Like we're never going to experience exactly what somebody else experiences, but to be able to have the opportunity to develop empathy and to get a little bit closer to the kind of empathy that he experiences is the joy and privilege of my life. Mm -hmm. And I never thought that before. Like, I was just mad (laughs) that I was doing something hard. And now when I go through something hard, I think about Anna and about how much I loved her and how much I just wanted her to stay on the mission because I knew how amazing it was going to be for her. And that's not the case for everybody. For sure. Right? But I I knew that if she could stay, she was going to learn things the way that I learned things. And she stayed because she felt like she wasn't alone and because she knew that somebody in the mission that was watching out for her knew exactly how she was feeling. And that wasn't me. You know, that was my savior providing me the opportunity to do that and to be there for her. But I was just a vessel. But I like if I hadn't experienced like sick to my stomach anxiety for the majority of my mission, I would have had this Norwegian girl sitting in my apartment and been like, I have no idea what to do with you. Like, I have no idea how to help you. Mm -hmm. But I did. Like, I I knew exactly what to do. We did breathing exercises every morning right after she woke up. We laid on the floor, and I led her through breathing exercises, and we did gratitude journaling, and we exercised every day for the entire 30 minutes. And, you know, like, I was able to to really help her. And, I I mean, like, I don't want to toot my own horn, obviously. Like, it wasn't me. I just had an opportunity. But I'm so grateful that I went through something difficult so that I could utilize that opportunity in a healthy way. Well, when you think about the Savior's atonement, that's literally the very thing that qualifies him as well as our savior to help us and no matter what we're going through because he's been through all that like it's hard for us to fathom that he's been through every single thing that any of us have ever been through but it's the same thing that we feel true connection with each other when we're able to help each other and empathize in that way which is the same thing that he feels i'm sure times a million yeah when he's able to pull us out of those hard times or help us through that Right. Yeah. Holy crap. That's Your powerful, story Sarah. Is insane, Sarah. <laughs> I'm Thank just like, you. Like, oh my god. We haven't even gotten to like the recent problem <laughs> yet. <laughs> There's <laughs> more. Um, if you don't mind, can we get into that? Yeah. Um. Yeah, so it. you came home from your mission, yes. went back to SUU. Yes. I did. And then went on your study abroad. Yes. So <laughs> I was at SUU for a couple years. Um, had great roommates, great friends. I've been going to therapy in person since then. Um, and it's been awesome. Like it's helped so much. Um, shortly, uh, like six months after I got back from my mission, I also got diagnosed with major depressive disorder and I was officially diagnosed with PTSD, um, from what happened in high school. Um, and I really? started, yes. Wow. Um, yeah, like on my mission, like they would do fireworks for the, um, new year. And I like would have like a PTSD response because it felt like dangerous and so, mm. like, as soon as I felt like I was in danger, it was, like, 
panic attacks again. So anyway, interesting. I'm also like very aware of my surroundings at all times, which I thought was just like a personality thing, but it's not, it's drama. Um, Dang. So that was interesting. But honestly, like receiving those diagnoses was almost empowering as well. Because you had an answer. Because I had an answer and it allowed me to be a victim for a second, you know, and I don't want to stay the victim. I want to be empowered, but it allowed me to be like, okay, I'm not crazy. Like I am sad and there's a reason for me to be sad, even though my life is great. And I am nervous and scared about things and there's a reason for it. Like neurologically, science can explain it. I'm not going crazy. So that was really empowering. Just vocalized what Mm -hmm. was going on. Exactly. Did you have to, sorry, before we jump into that second story, did you have to change the way that you coped with those feelings? from the time of your mission to when you were diagnosed with like MDD and generalized anxiety disorder, things like that? Um, Change the way you cope, is that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yes, because like I wasn't a missionary anymore. And so I almost felt like I had more resources, which was really good for Mm -hmm. me. Um, My therapist on the mission was awesome, but we did all of our sessions via like video call. And that was helpful, but not as helpful as being in a room with a therapist, for right? Sure. And so that totally changed the game for me. That's been amazing. Um, I still go to a therapist in person, and she's awesome. Um, and that's helped me a ton. Um, in addition, I did some EMDR therapy, um, which is a specific kind of trauma response therapy um, that helps you process the trauma a little bit better. The way my therapist describes it is you're almost changing the ending to your story, right? And it takes the trauma emotions out of it without changing the facts of what happened. Um, so that's been helpful as well. And it's like a whole scientific thing. And I don't even really know the science behind it, but it worked and I feel a lot better. What did you do? Um, you like put in a machine? No. So it's, oh, okay. it stands it's, for, it's fascinating. It is. It's really yeah. interesting. And I'm not an expert by any means. It stands for eye movement desensitization reprocessing. Um, Say and that 12 times fast. <laughs> So basically, (laughs) thank you. So you sit down with a therapist and they're sitting in front of you and they have like a pen and they like hold it in front of your eyes and you let your eyes follow the pen. Right. And what happens is it's, it's called bilateral stimulation. It's the same thing that your body experiences when you run, for example, where you're moving both sides of your body in tandem. And, um, obviously you're just doing it with your eyes, but it's the same concept and essentially that just helps your brain it almost like gives it a cue that's like okay time to process hard things and so why do you feel so much better after you run i mean obviously hormones right but also you're processing difficult things and difficult emotions through bilateral stimulation Mm. so that's essentially like that's the bare bones of it and again i'm not an expert i'm still in my undergrad in psych so i have a long ways to go (laughs) the science behind emdr is it's It's pretty fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So look that up if you want to. Um, so I did some of that and that helped a lot with the PTSD responses. Um, it doesn't feel so scary anymore, which is good. And I feel like I've really dived into, um, you know, coming home from my mission, I really dived into like music that helped a ton. And then recently, um, journaling and exercise have been some of my favorite ways to cope. Well, I guess exercise not recently because We'll get into that. Um, but <laughs> exercise when I got back from my mission was yeah. was really important just for move, me. Movement in general. Yeah, yeah. Just I mean, I would make sure to take a PE class, and I still do this. I make sure to take a PE class every semester, and I don't need it for a degree, and I don't need it for whatever. I just have a hard time staying accountable if I'm just working out by myself. But if I take like a yoga class where I have to be in class twice a week for a good grade, then I'll show up. 
Mm-hmm. And that's great. I took a self-defense class one semester. You know, I, I want to make sure that I'm always engaged in some sort of physical activity because that's been so good for my coping. Dang. That's actually kind of, that like hit me that it, it was a coping mechanism for you. Yeah. More than what is happening to you currently. You know what? Yes. Like, yeah. Wow. I'll ask you more about that when we get to it. But wow, I didn't realize that until right now. Yes. Um, Okay, so you come back, you have PTSD, you have MDD, you have anxiety. I started taking meds for my depression as well. Okay. So now I'm on two different types of medication. I think for a long time I thought I was just going to, like, take my anxiety meds until I got off the mission, and then I would weed off, and then I would be fine. Mm -hmm. I've been on them for four years now, and I've been on my MDD meds for three. And like I said, I'm really lucky. It doesn't work for a lot of people. But for me, it honestly just feels like I'm... Like, that's exactly what I need to be doing right now. Yeah. And it's helped so much. So, um, yeah, I did school for a couple years, and then I decided that I wanted to go back to my mission area for school for a semester. SEO is a really great study abroad program. I was super excited about it. Everything fell into place. I, like, got an online job that I could work remotely so I could still make money while I was there. I got a scholarship to help me pay for my housing. I found a shared apartment with a member of the YSA over there, and it was just as cheap as my apartment in Cedar City, which is insane. Like, I'm living in a European country. Dang, Utah for the rent s- prices. <laughs> for the same amount as Cedar City. Like, everything was lining up. And I went, and I had the best two months of my life. Wow. Like, it was amazing it was amazing and i i left for my study abroad um three days after my boyfriend broke up with me and so it was very healing in that way as well where i was really able to just go and focus on myself and have an independent experience and really exercise my independence and do something scary you know Mm -hmm. like i'm i'm not i don't consider myself a brave person right like i have anxiety and ptsd and those are like the textbook definitions of someone who's very very afraid of the world you know? <laughs> like, i'm like scared you know i'm a i'm an afraid human being but i was like i want this and i want to do something that scares me yeah. and i went and i did it and it was amazing it's awesome. like i can't gush enough about my two months they were everything mm-hmm. they're everything that's that's awesome. That's, <laughs> like, it's, it's all, I mean, it's all part of like healing as well. I mean, going and doing these these awesome things, it's, right. it's helping you become who you are. This is insane. Uh, <laughs> so this is this is going to be probably the most exciting part. Yeah. I, I want I want you to detail just a little bit about this this ski trip that you went on. Yeah. In okay. the middle of what was it Austria? Austria. Austria. Yeah, yeah. Sarah goes on a ski trip in the middle of Austria. What happened on um, that ski trip? Well, I was really excited. You know, I've been skiing my whole life. Skiing in the Alps is like a bucket list item. Oh, of course. Everybody wants to do it. My dad, literally the weeks leading up to it, every time I would call him, he'd be like, I'm so jealous of you. (laughs) And I was like, I know, I'm so excited. It's going to be awesome. Um, I've been skiing my whole life, and I'm used to my own skis, right? I'm used to skiing on powder um, Mm. because I grew up in Utah. The Alps are not like that. And our trip was really late in the season. It was like end of March, which is pretty late here anyway, but it had been really warm over there, so everything was super icy because it had frozen and melted and frozen again. Um, But I'm like, I'm going to be fine. Like, I've been skiing my whole life. I know exactly what I'm doing. (laughs) And we get up onto the mountain. I have rental skis. And even just coming off of the lift, I can tell that I don't have as much control as I'm used to. 
like the edges just aren't good and I just like but I just brush it off because I'm like whatever like I, I you could do this I can do yeah. this like I, <laughs> I'm having a great time you know I I stayed up partying the night before with my European roommates and hanging out in the hostel and now we're on the Alps and we're skiing and this is amazing and then I um <laughs> I'm hanging out with the Austrians because I speak German and they think I'm cool because I'm American and I speak their language, right? And they've also all been skiing their whole lives. So I'm not with, like, the international students that are learning how to ski on, like, the bunny slopes, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, like, on a decent-sized mountain with these Austrian people. And we start going down this hill that is a lot steeper than it looks from the top. And I realize very quickly that I do not have control over my skis Mm. like the same way that I'm used to and everything is so icy and I start going so fast and I'm like I have to figure out how to slow down but it was a really busy day so I can't just like cut across the entire mountain and slow down that way so I try doing like zigzags like little zigzags and I think that just makes me faster and I'm just (laughs) like I'm going to crash like I know I'm going to crash and it's going to be really bad so I start saying like profanities under my breath, like all the way down the hill. <laughs> and I lost control and I veered off the groomed run and my skis hit an edge of ice and I flipped and I bounced on the ice and I flipped again and I landed and I slid. And I knew something was wrong immediately. I thought it was a knee thing because I've had knee injuries before. Um, and I sat there for a second like what the heck just happened and then I realized I was in pain and I took my helmet off and I grabbed my phone and the skier stopped by and said hey are you okay and I said no like something's very wrong um and he said okay do you need me to call emergency services and I think he offered because I was speaking to him in German but I was going into shock and so I wasn't super all the way there (laughs) um And so he called emergency services, told them where I was, handed my phone back to me. I called my parents and it goes to voicemail because it's 4.30 in the morning, Utah time. So I call them immediately again and my dad picks up and he says, what's wrong? Like, my dad has an instinct, I swear. (laughs) He knows all of the things. And I say, I'm on the mountain for my ski trip. I just crashed. Um, Emergency services are on their way. Um, Something's wrong. And he says, okay, do they know what's wrong? And I say, no. And I stay on the line for a little bit. And then he hands the phone to my mom and I'm talking to her. And then the the EMTs come on a, like a... Snowmobile? Yes. Yes. <laughs> that. On a snowmobile. And they come to wrap my leg in like a brace. Mm-hmm. And he picks up my leg and he says, yeah, that's broken. And I, I'm on the phone with my mom and I'm like... I broke my leg. (laughs) And she was like, what? I was like, okay, I'm sorry. I have to go because they're like taking me away. Right. So they get me down to the bottom of the slope. And then, um, they, um, what? Bring your mic closer. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, they, they take me down to the bottom of the slope, but we're on the higher mountain, right? We've taken a gondola up so they can't just load me into an ambulance and drive me away. So we wait for the helicopter And then as soon as the EMTs from the helicopter get there, they poke their head into where I was laying, ask for my allergies. I give them my phone and tell them to text my parents what hospital we're going to. And then they stick an IV in my arm and knock me out with medication. Um, Because you're going to be in so much pain in in like three seconds. Yeah, because all the adrenaline's wearing off. Um, Did they tell you what it could have been? 
at that point you had no just idea just that my leg was broken your leg was broken okay and i wasn't sure that i trusted that because yeah. i was like you don't know you're not a doctor you haven't seen x-rays yeah, right. i was yeah, like it's geez. just a knee thing like it's always <laughs> been a knee thing so yeah. i just probably tore my acl or something i did not um i woke up in the prep room for emergency surgery um a nurse held my phone up to my ear my mom was on the other end and told me that my dad was on a flight already to come see me which was amazing um i still wasn't i still hadn't like cried yet i was still like what is happening <laughs> and now i'm like muddled from the drugs so i don't really know why i'm going into surgery i just know that i am right and then i wake up with a giant metal they call it an external fixator sticking out of my leg <gasps> to stabilize my leg because i had broken my femur and the shock had traveled up and punched out the back of my hip <clears throat> so i broke both my femur and my hip makes me cringe even just Holy hearing that. And I've heard it like three times now. <laughs> <laughs> it was insane. It was so crazy. <gasps> and it's still kind of crazy and doesn't feel real. But here we are. So. so she broke her femur like vertically. It wasn't like a snap horizontally across the femur, yeah. but rather yeah. vertically, right? Yeah, it like broke in the ball joint of my knee and oh, split like my. vertically. And that's why they did the external fixator thing, because if they hadn't stabilized it, it would have kept splitting up my leg. And um, your femur is like right next to a bunch of vital arteries. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that like none of the shards from my break punctured any of those is like a big deal. And the fact that I'm not paralyzed is a major deal. And the fact that I'm not dead is also kind of a miracle. That's so. crazy. So you went into emergency surgery. They put these rods in it. And then you're in the hospital for yeah. a month, you said? In, yeah, a foreign country in a foreign country with foreign health care. I work in healthcare. Yeah. It's bad here. I just. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great here. I'm not going to lie. Uh, it's it great. I love America. But just <laughs> healthcare in general, like you were. You had to deal with a completely different system. Yeah, it was scary. It was really scary. So they Evolution, man. They brought me into um, my room. It's public health care because it's Europe. So I'm sharing a room with someone. Also. Oh, so I'm having this that. incredibly vulnerable experience. And my roommate, Sonia, is on the other side of the room <laughs> just having this incredibly vulnerable experience with me, you know? Um, she was actually really sweet. She was like my mom's age and had broken her heels rock climbing. Both oh wow! So we were both in pretty bad shape, but we helped each other. <laughs> um, my dad got there within 24 hours, um, and then they they kept that thing in my leg for like four days, and then they went back into surgery, um, and they removed the stabilizer. They stuck a 13 inch rod in my leg, um, so it basically takes up my entire thigh, and there are six screws and two little metal zip tie thingies in there. And then they did three steel plates in my hip to mm. repair that. And then I was recovering and we were trying to figure out if I could sit up long enough to fly home for about a month after Jeez. the surgery. That's actually insane. <laughs> it was wild. It was like, I hope I never experience anything like that again. Cause it's just like, it's just crazy. It's, I mean, it's, you hear about stuff like this happening to other people, but it's always someone else until it's you. And then you're like, <gasps> this is really bad. It Whoa. was really bad. So you're actually able to sit on a flight for however long. So back. yes and no. Um, we got business class, which was necessary for the international flight home. Those are the ones where you can have lie down seats. Um, but I had to be able to sit up long enough to take off and land. 
and they were worried about putting all of my weight and pressure on the broken hip in sitting in a fully upright position so soon after the break and so soon after surgery. Mm. Um, but they eventually cleared me because they weren't going to let me stay in the hospital for more than a month and they couldn't get me into a rehab center until six weeks after the injury. And so it's like, what am I supposed to do for those two weeks? Right? (laughs) Like I, I can't live in my fifth floor apartment in Vienna with a roommate. My parents have to go home. Like they have jobs. They can't Mm -hmm. stay here with me. And so I needed to come home. Um, and eventually they were like, okay, as long as she only sits up all the way for the takeoff and, and landing, then she'll be fine. So we flew Munich. Well, we drove from Villach where I was staying in the hospital to Munich the night or the day I got discharged from the hospital, spent Mm -hmm. the night in Munich and then flew Munich to Atlanta and then Atlanta to Salt Lake. Mm. And it was the worst travel day of my life. I will never complain about having a sore butt from traveling ever again. (laughs) Yeah, it was like sore butt to the max. Braylon knows I complain a lot because I don't have very much meat on my bones. Yeah. (laughs) And so any any drive over about an hour, I'm like, holy cow, I cannot take this anymore. But here we are, Sarah's spending 48 broken hours. Broken hip. Broken hip, broken femur, which they say, I mean, the arbitrary they is the most painful thing you can go through besides like childbirth, childbirth right? That is what they say. I would agree, personally. Wait, what? People say that like like breaking your bone is A, easily, or breaking your femur is A, easily the most painful break you can have. Oh and it's like it's a thick boy. I mean, comparable, yeah. comparable to child boy, childbirth. Oh my Sarah's been through <laughs> this it. It's literally insane to me. Let's uh, let's jump into like your physical recovery from that, and also yeah. how it affected your your mental health, if that's okay. Yes, absolutely. Um, <laughs> it's just wild. <laughs> it is wild. Um, the hospital was hard. The hospital was really hard. I um, my depression hit like it hasn't since I got on my medication, right? Like it just really likes extended hospital stays. It likes the fact that I couldn't move. It liked the fact that I felt like I was grieving the loss of this life that I loved, right? And, And that was really hard. And frankly, I was really angry with God because I felt so inspired to do the study abroad program and I felt like it was what I was supposed to be doing. And I had multiple moments on my study abroad where I'd come home after a night with friends and I was eating cereal in my tiny Vienna apartment. And I just got overwhelmed multiple times with the feeling of this is exactly where you're supposed to be. Like this is exactly what you're supposed to be doing. And then I fell down a mountain and I had to come home. Yeah. And I was like, what is up with that? Like, why? That doesn't make any sense. Because Sick you turned to the plan. Literally. Like, yeah. You gave me this confirmation and now this is not what you had confirmed was what was supposed to happen. And I really struggled with that. I struggled with my anger and I struggled with my loneliness. Um, they still had really bad COVID restrictions. So my parents could only stay for a couple hours a day when they came to see me in the hospital and they had to take turns. Mm. So my dad was there one day and my mom was there the next, but they were only there for two hours. And I went to sleep alone and I woke up alone and I got shots in my stomach for blood clots alone. And like I got blood drawn alone and I got a blood transfusion by myself. And it was like all of these things that I was doing by myself. And it was really lonely and it was really scary. Like it was, I mean, I almost died, you know? And, and I joke about that all the time. I'm like, oh yeah, I almost died on a ski trip. But like, I, like I legitimately did. 
And when you get that close to almost dying, you take a step back and you're like, wait, how am I living my life? And is this actually what I want to be doing? And I really didn't start thinking about that. I I, I took the time in the hospital to feel really bad for myself. Um, and Which then is I, important. I think yeah. you have to you have to spend a, at least a little bit of time feeling sorry for yourself. No, I think, I think everybody does need that. Yeah. <laughs> I cried so you much. Broke your femur, baby girl. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that, I, that sucks. I had so many breakdowns, and they were so mad at me because I was so dehydrated. But I was like, I gotta do what I gotta do. Like, I gotta <laughs> let this out, you know. Yeah. Um, and then I came home, and I was still in bed because I couldn't get up except to use the bathroom because it hurt so much and I spent a couple weeks feeling sorry for myself there too and then I realized that for the longest time I've always and I'm taking this in a different direction for the longest time I've always wanted to be like a routine girl like you see those like morning routines on Instagram and you're like like, I, I want that so bad. Yeah, yeah, like same, I want to be able to wake up at the same time to the sun every morning and do some journaling and do some yoga and go With like a cute eat little a healthy background. breakfast. Yeah. Yes, exactly. But legitimately, I've always wanted to be able to maintain habits like that. Like I've never been able to read my scriptures habitually or to pray habitually or to write in my journal habitually. Like it's something I've struggled with since coming home from my mission. Mm-hmm. And I did out on the mission because that's what you do, right? Like that's yeah, a very you, structured. No choice. <laughs> yeah. right? But I, and I loved that, but then I got home and I was like, mm-hmm. I just I lost all my ability to do that. Like I have no idea how to do this. And I realized that I was sitting in bed all day, every day. And you don't have to get out of bed to read your scriptures. And you don't have to get out of bed to write in your journal. And you don't have to get out of bed to pray. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is my chance. Like to establish those habits and create a routine for myself. And once I found that purpose in my recovery, it was like a flip switched. Wow. Like it was, it was just like, I, I can do this because I have something that I'm working towards. You are so dope. Like, you literally, <laughs> you had this, like, traumatic experience of a ski accident. Mind you, everything else we talked about. And you said, I need to find purpose in this trial, and I'm going to get closer to God. Like, <laughs> nobody does that who's I think, normal. I and think it's <laughs> like a personality disorder. It, <laughs> it's so dope, Sarah. I think there's, there's, a, there's a cool principle to take out from that, because when you're in the middle of something, it's really hard to see, but... I think, I mean, they say hindsight is twenty twenty. Yeah. But things don't happen to you, but they happen for you. Yeah. Right. And no matter how long it takes you to figure that out, that something bad has happened for you and for your development and for who you need to be as a person, who Heavenly Father wants you yeah. to be. Yeah. Like President Nelson says, it's not about the... It's not about the circumstances of your life. It's the focus of your life. You were focusing on getting closer to God. You weren't focused. I mean, some days are different than others. You know, your femur's broken. Um, (laughs) But, like, your circumstances did not change your focus. Yeah. Don't. And I think it's important to remember, too, like, yeah, I've gotten a lot out of this experience, and I feel like I have learned, and I have grown, and I've developed, and it's been good, ultimately. Um, but I don't think God pushed me down that mountain. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I think a lot of the time when something bad happens to us, it's our inclination to be like, God did this to me. Mm. Like it was vindictive and he did it to hurt me or he did it to make me learn something. And yeah. I think we get bitter and resentful about that. 
but I don't like he didn't he didn't push me down the mountain and sure he could have been like hey maybe don't ski down this mountain <laughs> but I was gonna do that anyway yeah, like I wasn't yeah, gonna listen to that yeah. I was gonna shrug that off as my paranoia right or my anxiety mm-hmm. and so he knew what was gonna happen and then gravity took over and and gravity is a law of heaven and a law of the universe and God isn't going to compromise that law to keep me from breaking my femur. Like he's not going to do that because if he broke his laws, he wouldn't be God anymore. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, I don't think, I don't think God was vindictive about what happened to me in my ski accident. I know he wasn't vindictive about what happened to me in high school. That was somebody else's agency yeah. and the consequences of that. But how amazing is it that we have access to power that helps us I, I always think about the savior and how he makes ugly things beautiful. Mm-hmm. And like what happened to me in high school was one of the ugliest things mortality can offer. And I'm able to help people and I have empathy because of it. And, and having full blown panic attacks and ugly sobbing for hours at a time is ugly, yeah. right? It's not pretty, it's not glamorous. And having major depressive disorder and not being able to brush your teeth or brush your hair or shower for days at a time is not pretty. Mm-hmm. It's really ugly. And and my scars are kind of low-key disgusting, you know? And like my x-rays are that ugly. So cool. And and the accident was really ugly. Yeah. But we have access because our savior loves us and because our heavenly father loves us to a power that makes those things beautiful. Gosh. And how so- lucky are we yeah how lucky are we that we have access to that like i'm just a 22 year old kid you know like i don't know what i'm doing i try and pretend like i do but i i have no idea what i'm doing you know (laughs) Mm i i i still struggle so much but i have access to something that can make the ugliest things in mortality and the ugliest things in the world into something stunning and beautiful (sighs) and how amazing is that that each of us has access to that that it's not something you have to qualify for or something you have to be worthy of. You just get it because he loves you. And that's why that that's why we want to share it so often. Like that's why we go on missions. That's why we share the gospel with people because we understand that to the core. Yeah. That like you can make ugly things beautiful. It's like it, it's possible. It happens a thousand times out of a thousand if you trust Christ because yeah. that's what he does. That's what he does every time. A thousand wow. times out of a thousand. That's a pretty big percentage. Pretty <laughs> More percentage. than a hundred, and, and not only, I mean, it shows. Like, I'm sure Brayden will agree with me, and our friend Cassie's here watching this as well, but, like, Sarah glows. Like, Yeah, like, her- the <laughs> amount of times, like, in my inside body was, like, warm <laughs> from what you said. I was like... Oh God! Not like, only is like her testimony and the way she articulates herself beautiful, but like she's just a beautiful person. She like, is. She glows. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. Wow. You guys. <laughs> well, Sarah, wrapping up, we just want to ask. Um, I mean, we can do more questions, but no, I was I like just this. thinking this the whole time. Yeah. What do you think from your stages of life, your experiences? That if anybody went through this, any of our listeners have been through any of these situations, what would you want to bring into the light? What is something that a resource, a, an ideology, a principle, something that you understand now that you wish somebody else knew before currently going through it or 
previously going through it? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, my instinct is to say that it's okay to ask for help. Yeah. And it's okay to accept help. Because everything that I went through in high school, I was able to heal from because I received help from my parents, because I received help from an amazing bishop, because I eventually received help from friends and a therapist and medication and like medical professionals. Mm -hmm. Everything that I've gone through with this accident, you know, I'm, I'm a very independent person. Like I moved to Europe for heaven's sakes because I just wanted to, you know, and it's, mm -hmm. it's just like my nature that I just am independent. And, and I very rarely want to admit weakness. And each of these stories that I've shared today have, have been me needing to recognize that it's okay to be weak mm -hmm. because that's mortality and you're going to be weak sometimes, but there are always people and this sounds so cheesy, but like, it's so true. There are always people that want to help always, whether that just be someone to talk to or whether it be a medical professional who can give you counseling or prescribe you medication or whether it be my physical therapist that I go to three times a week so I can walk again. You know, mm -hmm. it's, I couldn't do any of what I've done alone. And ultimately help comes from the savior as well. Yeah. And, and that's the best kind of help I think you could ever wish for because his help is perfect and purely intentioned. And there are no drawbacks or strings attached or anything. Like he just wants to help you. Yeah. And the times you felt so isolated, no one was there for you. He was, he was there. Mm -hmm. He was there, but also he has people here to help yeah. you. Like, the savior sometimes is an abstract thing to people. Yes. It's something that's not readily available that mm -hmm. you can just take. Just, you know, you right. can just take it and you can feel it and you know it's there, you know. Right. But there's angels who are sent. There yeah. are people on this earth who live a life to help and who, who want to. And it, those were the people who helped you all yeah. throughout your experiences. I mean, I feel like I have a lot of life experience for a 22-year-old. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, you do. But, like, I never once saw the savior, mm -hmm. right? He never once personally came and said, I'm here to help you. But I have so many people that I can point to and say, I know you were inspired. Yeah. Whether or not you know you were inspired, I know you were inspired. And I know that you're here to help me. And, and that's his hands, right? And that's why we're here, is to be his hands. And how amazing is it that we get to go through these hard things and we get to experience his love and then we get to pass that on. Mm-hmm. It qualifies us. Yeah. I, I also just want to say really quick, staying on that, that topic of, of help, if I could briefly just share an experience that I had this yesterday, actually, yesterday was Sunday. Um, I had one of my really close friends reach out to me and ask for help. And I was able to go and talk to him and discuss things. And not only, like, he expressed how much that conversation helped him, but walking away from that conversation, I felt connected not only to him as a friend, but connected to my Heavenly Father because that is what we as human beings are here to do. Mm -hmm. And so not only are there people out there to help you, no matter what you're going through, but you simply asking for that help oftentimes will make someone's day and help them feel fulfilled as a person and as a child of God more than anything else in life mm -hmm. actually does. Well, can I just say, Sarah, you've been inspired. <laughs> Aaron was inspired to go to Lagoon. Um, you guys were inspired to hang out a couple weeks ago because 
I felt the spirit so many times in this conversation, and I'm so grateful that you decided to come down here and share the story because it's not, if it didn't impact anybody, it impacted me and the way I see life and the way that I communicate with the spirit and the way that I need to be better in in certain things. And so thank you so much for coming. We appreciate thank it you. like 10,000%. So I don't know how <laughs> I can thank you enough for coming. Thank you so much for letting me come. I've, I, I promised myself when I was sexually assaulted in high school that like nobody else would have to feel alone or isolated mm-hmm. if they were going through something similar. Yes, ma'am. And ever since then, I've just been like bleeding my story all over the place yes, and, and i hope that it can help people so yeah, thank you for giving me the opportunity you. to do that on like a broader scale mm-hmm. thank you so much um just really quick i just wanted to say if you have please send us messages for sarah mm-hmm. expressing your appreciation because we know i mean just like Braylon said i feel super impacted by this and i know it'll impact so many people that we get it out to so thank you for that and please before we close this out we just want to say we would absolutely love it and would challenge everyone to think of someone in your life that is going through something similar um even if it's not as dramatic of a story (laughs) as sarah's which would be hard to find honestly and if you have someone with as dramatic of a story please let us know but we'd love to interview them (laughs) (laughs) but just think of someone that would benefit from this knowledge and from Sarah's testimony and the things that we talked about today and share this episode with them. Mm-hmm. I agree. I'm kind of speechless <laughs> to be honest. We love you guys. <laughs> like, subscribe, listen, download. We love you. Peace out, homies. Thanks so much, guys. Bye.